0: someone who loves you so deeply and so greatly that you can't even fathom it and it doesn't matter if you can recognize who he is or, or what he can do for you or what he has done for you it doesn't matter he still loves you just as much as anyone else
1: welcome everyone to the ultimate shift join ephraim glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness success and fulfillment are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life okay welcome back to the ultimate shift today we have Polina Jane, yeah,
0: right, right? you got it right. Yeah, so
1: I'm really excited to have you here. And prior to this conversation five minutes ago, I had never have known you before. And Abby, my sister's, one that got you on the show. So I'm really excited to hear about your story. And you are an entertainer, writer, musician. Am I leaving anything out? Uh,
0: well, uh, I like to play basketball for fun sometimes. So maybe yeah. there's that.
1: Yeah. So. Uh-huh. Tell us how this started. So you grew up in Michigan. As a kid, like, how did this musical thing start? Or did you grow up musically talented? Were you always wanting to go that route? Or how did this whole thing happen to where now you're in Nashville?
0: Mom, um, it's sort of been a, a windy little road there. So I grew up in a household that was naturally very musical. My dad was a huge fan of the Beatles, huge fan of Stevie Wonder always playing the average white band. Like I'd be leaving my softball practice and it'd be blaring out in the parking lot. And I know exactly where he was, you know, my mom, on the other hand, she was playing pieces like Claire de Lune and Finlandia. And my grandmother was the same way. And so I'd be coming into the household. There was always music playing. I had a babysitter who was really more like a second mom to me too, because my parents were both working full, full time and I'd come down in the mornings and she'd be having gospel blaring from the television and TD Jakes would be speaking, you know, on TV. Oh, wow. So it was a really good mixture of different stuff that I grew up around. So naturally, when I started taking piano lessons when I was about five, the classical pieces that I was learning, you know, some of them were really boring <laughs> by the time I got to middle school. So, in order to keep me going, my mom said, Oh, we gotta get a different piano teacher because we don't want her to give up this craft.
1: So, you were singing or just playing the melodies? At
0: this point, I was just playing the melodies on the piano and if I was singing, I was singing alone. I would not open my mouth in front of anybody. That was a very private really? thing to me. I wouldn't sing it from my mom because she was a singer herself and she was so talented. And I was like, I will not let her hear me be bad. <laughs> so that was kind of a private little thing to me. But I started writing when I was nine. And I really believe that someday I'll be able to tell that, that full story about why these songs poured out. But the music that was happening at that time in my life on the piano, these classical sounding dark pieces, they were born out of um, great hardship in my family. Um, lots of things that were going on that, like I said, someday, I know I'll be able to tell it,
1: but. So at nine years old, you, you just had this flowing for me. Like, how did you know that? How did you know to write? I mean, was it just something that came naturally or was like, was this like pen, just like pen and paper type writing? Was it like, you're just chopping it on a typewriter computer
0: well all of the writing that I was doing was musical at that point so I wasn't mm-hmm. writing lyrics
1: oh you were okay so you were literally just creating your own melody and yeah. writing it out wow and,
0: yeah so I was using the piano sort of as my conduit you know and the notes were my words I wow. always say these these songs that I was writing they were they were in depth and honestly if you were listening to the little nine and ten year old girl playing these pieces and You had never met her before. You probably would have said, is there something wrong? Like something's going on. Is she sad? You know, is she deeply depressed (laughs) because these pieces were dark. But, you know, I I had a family member who was going through a lot of really, really tough stuff and is an immediate family member. And it caused me to kind of use this music as therapy. I couldn't speak. I didn't even speak the feelings I had. So I just had to play them. Um, and I can't really tell you what it was that that happened it was just like one day I went to the piano and the piano's in this bay window area of my house up in Michigan and I was looking out the window and I just started messing around Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and next thing I know it turned into a piece.
1: So at that time this was just kind of an outlet for you but you were were you thinking like oh my gosh like I love this. This this is an outlet for me. This is something that helps me feel, think, and process. So I want to do this as a career.
0: I never once was the young girl who was standing in their bedroom with a comb and singing into the comb. You know, (laughs) you hear you hear all these these girls like Carrie Underwood and Dolly Parton and everybody talking about. Yeah, I remember when I was a young chick and I was dancing in my room and you know singing to the mirror and the stuffed animals were my were my audience. You know. I was never that girl. I um, I hated dance class. I hated it. I was the girl who was sitting down on stage, like in the middle of the recital, because I was like, "This is ridiculous," <laughs> and and I was too shy to, to put on a show of any kind. I it was music was so personal to I me. Mean, I never thought of it as being a career. I thought I was going to be veterinarian, you know, like every other little kid or a lawyer or something. Uh, so it was there was a shift in time though where it became something that I just sort of fell into as a career.
1: So how do you get out of, for, if you had to look, if you saw yourself, you know, say at that age now, what would you tell yourself?
0: Oh my goodness. You know, I think that I would have told myself a couple things. One, I would have said, just keep doing what you're doing because it's going to be so fruitful. Two, I would have said, step out and and just be a little bold, be unafraid, you know, um, and and do it sooner because I've, I've just learned, I've lost some people in my life and, in that process, I've learned how important it is to really seize every day. And and that sounds so cliche and ridiculous, but it's the truth. You know, I was at, at this, this thing this past weekend and this man said, I was asking this man, I said, did you, do you think I should go home to Michigan? I'm two and a half hours away, but I have a six hour drive to Nashville. If I go to Michigan, it'll be a nine hour drive to Nashville. Do you think I should go home for father's day and see him? And he looked at me without even before I could even put a question mark at the end of my sentence, and he says to me, you're not promised tomorrow, neither is your dad, so you need to go. Hmm. So I think in retrospect, I would have told myself something along those lines, like step out, be unafraid, sing, sing wildly, sing into the to the comb, you know, just go out there
1: and do it. I love it. And maybe that's a message to any kid today, struggling or trying to find like their what it you know or not even trying to find I feel like I feel like there's so much pressure put on kids to to know what they want to be like when you go to school at six, seven years old. Well what do you want to be when you grow up? Well and I think there's there's a lot of pressure with that that maybe it's more important to have an outlet to to process your surroundings and your kind of like what you were saying, which was music for you. What's what's your take What's your take on that? I mean, if you had to say, if you had to give kids advice today, and there a lot of kids struggle in their home life, like whether there's, you know, we had, oh gosh, my brain just is completely fried right now. But I guess <laughs> last week, and that's coming out tomorrow, and he was talking about the the how many homes are in this nation or in the world that have the kids have no father, they have no you know, they don't know how to process these these things. So do you feel like it's really important for those kids to, to find out? Maybe more so than thinking, well, I'm going to be a musician when I grow up. You know what? Just, like, deal with the here and now. Like, deal with today because, like you said, we're not promised tomorrow. What's your advice to, to kids at that age?
0: I do, I do think that kids naturally do that. I do think that children naturally have this this in the moment thing about them, but you know, there's so much, I do agree. There's so much pressure. Like take your, take your uh, extra classes, make sure you do X, Y, and Z so you can get to college faster and all this stuff. And I was one of those kids too, you know, but I, I just sort of sometimes wish that I wouldn't have grown up so fast or made myself grow up so fast. So, Like, if I am lucky enough to have kids someday, I would be telling them and making them go outside and play and, you know, maybe stay out a little past dark if you want to stay out a little past dark and break the rules for a minute, right? Uh, and, And don't be afraid to get a little dirty in the mud and get all, you know, messed up in the mud and just hang out and roll around and be free and... And sees all of that. There's so little of that that I think we, we lose that every year we get older. We lose a little bit more of that freedom every year. And so if we can just really take reins of it as little kids, I don't know how much that message would like appeal to a kid. You know, they might right. sit there
1: and go, I don't know, know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So why do you think it is that as adults, we tend to lose some of that every year, like you said? Is it... Is it because of pressure from from maybe others around us still, or you now you have careers and things like that? Or is there a way that, that there is some sort of a, of a balance of where where we can grow up maybe slowly, a little more slowly, maybe maybe be a little bolder despite what others may think or?
0: Well, I think every at least what I'm experiencing right now, I I feel like every few months I'm getting a little bit more responsibility in my life and I'm 25. So what do I know? You know, but I'm just starting to get a little bit more responsibility with more things that I have to take care of. And, um, every decision I make has a little bit more weight to it. And so in the process of, of uh, growing up and experiencing those things, I think they do kind of, if you let them, they can become trappings, which is where your freedom goes, you know, it's, right. it kind of goes with the wind. But I think what I, I've i found is I love surrounding myself with people who are super free-spirited and it's really easy to do that in the musical world, right? <laughs> Everybody's just sort of flying by the seat of their pants. There's no formula in this industry. <laughs> We're all, you know, working down the street as a waitress and then in the evenings bartending or walking dogs during the day you know just random things so there is an element of free spiritedness that we already have in our nature but even so that responsibility is still there I guess I guess it's a matter of who you who you surround yourself with and and uh what you really really look for in life I have a friend who's Australian and she just moved here a year and a half ago she told me the difference between Australians and Americans is balance and that Americans spend most of their time and most of their life working and Australians take these big long vacations and they have extra time off that Americans don't have and they're, they're working to vacation. They're not working
1: to work. Well, for a firm materialistic thing, or, things like that right. we think is that we as Americans for whatever reason put a lot of value on
0: right exactly so um, I don't think there's something to learn from that Australian mindset and, and especially with the concept of freedom sort of wrapped around it so
1: yeah well I think I think you're exactly right I think you guys as musicians have have said no to the, that's what kind of what I've gathered from from interviewing a lot of people on this show and everything but it's, for me. I was never going to be okay with that nine to five working with someone else. And I think musicians in the same way, you kind of said no to that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically that structured, protected society. And you said, no, I'm taking my own risk because, and there's something about musicians that's very freeing that you're willing to, I think of everyone I've interviewed, it's always the musicians who are willing to have the least mm-hmm. as long as they can play. Right. And there's a lot of freedom in that. I think, right? Uh, you know, you know that that's where you want to be. So, in, in your like, what what's inspired like your music, like your songs? Like you have uh, like "Love's Always Gonna Win." You have different that uh, have what, over half a million downloads, streams, and in 19 countries. So, mm-hmm. what inspired those? Did you write those songs with co-writers mm-hmm. or by yourself?
0: Um, "Love's Can Always Win." I wrote with some co-writers, Trey Bruce and Haley Steele, and. Trey's had, you know, he's a legend. He's had all these number ones and everything. And and Haley had had some success, and I was absolutely a nobody when I was in the writer's room with them and, and still kind of am, you know? And so, uh, we. Well,
1: you're 19 countries, people are playing music in 19 countries. I think that's a little past being a nobody. Well, a, uh,
0: <laughs> man, it's, that's humbling. That's really humbling. But yeah, we were sitting in a writer's room, and it was. I think a week after some shootings that went down in Dallas and I remember there was some stuff that was going down in my hometown too, Detroit. Um, There's just a lot of unrest. This was back in, sort of back in 2016, I think. And um, I had felt really compelled to write something that was greater than you know, necessary. like the, the average or typical topic of, oh, he broke up with me and, you know, or whatever, or I broke up with him, right. you know, kind a of thing. Song. A typical country song with yeah. my dog and my truck, you know. So so I, I said to my co writers, I said, let's, let's just write something that would light people up and get them excited and, and moved. And something that has a message that we can attach ourselves to that we truly believe in. And sure enough, um, somebody started singing. Well, the world's on fire, hope is burning infernal high. And the next thing I know, this whole song just fell right out. It's it's about loving your neighbor. It's about taking care of the people around you. It's about it's about loving life and seeing the beauty in it, and being unafraid of of the hatred and the fear and the things that are less than perfect.
1: Do you believe that love will always win?
0: I do. I do believe it, full
1: heartedly. And so, when we see things like like last year, what what makes you like what goes through your mind? As in, you know, there was a lot of unrest last year, uh, and not even COVID. We're talking about George Floyd, different cultures again clashing and things like that. So, do you what do you think the world needs in in a place like that? Is it maybe less talking, more listening? Is it uh, realizing that love your neighbor again mm-hmm. type of thing? Or mm-hmm. what's your take on that?
0: Well, I think my take is pretty simple. My, my responsibility is to love the people around me, um, love God, and do my very best every day to wake up and be grateful for what I have and um, show others respect. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, you know I don't think we need to overcomplicate it. I, I think that uh, I can I can do those things and do my best at those things, but recognizing that I'm human, and so um, I'm going to have my shortcomings, right. <laughs> and so will everyone else. Uh, but you know I I love people. I can't I can't help it. I love people. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what they look like. Where they're from. What kind of accent they have? Whatever. We're all people. What's so a little extra melatonin in some skin? I don't understand that, and I never right. will.
1: Yeah, and I think I think most people agree with you on that. And unfortunately, sometimes the the, the smallest amount of people make the loudest noise, and mm-hmm. and kind of start making us doubt that. But I think I think in general, from I mean, I've traveled this country back and forth, up and down, and I think. I don't know that I've ever met anyone who hasn't bugged
0: people. Mm-hmm. And so. Also, I think I said melatonin, and that's because I had a melatonin <laughs> last night. I meant melanin. <laughs> so forgive yeah. me, but my brain is still sleeping because of the melatonin.
1: I heard you, but I was like, you know what? I mean, just discovered something I haven't about people. You were,
0: you were so kind. You just said that you didn't even smile. I was like, what in the world? I'm sitting well, in here red as a tomato. <laughs> You can't see that though,
1: because you're listening to this. <laughs> well, it's my job to listen. Mm. So you work with people like Cheryl Crowell, Rascal Flatts, Sam Hunt, these people. What's the biggest thing that you feel like as a musician that you've learned and taken away from from people who have maybe you know made it a little further down the road, or and I don't know that they have made it further than you, but I'm saying like they they've worked really hard on building their brand and their image and working with them. What's what would you say was the biggest thing that you learned with working from artists of that kind?
0: Well, Cheryl Crow was sitting backstage right before we were playing our show together, and there were 15,000 people in the audience and they were all waiting outside for her, you know, to to come on the stage. And she was wearing a Pistons jersey because we were doing an event for the Detroit Pistons. It was some kind of nonprofit sort of thing. And she had her little shorts on and maybe jeans. I can't remember exactly, but it was just very casual to the point. And right before she stepped on stage, she was FaceTiming with her family and her kids. And I was watching from, you know, just a couple feet away, just kind of paying attention, giving her a little space, though. And I realized, well, this is a person who is idolized by Hundreds of thousands of people around the world, and here she is, and she's about to go sing in front of fifteen thousand. She's just talking to her family. They're normal people, right? It was that moment where I realized, oh, this is this is normal. She goes to the bathroom, you know. She she has to put her shirt on in the morning too, and and start her own car, and you know, do all this, fill up the gas, go get some groceries. So, I think what I came to find in the process of meeting these people is there's really nothing different about them as human beings. They go through the same motions as everybody else, but they're, they're calling, and their calling may seem like it's so much greater and bigger than everyone else's, but for whatever reason, what they're doing is on a stage. And what everyone else is doing, it might be behind closed doors and it might not be witnessed by as many people, but they can have just as much of an impact. It just right. might be person by person by person. Right. So I just mm-hmm. had I got a kick out of being able to see the dichotomy of that. That's sort of what I learned from these artists. That's,
1: a, that's amazing. That's a great point. If you had to, if you were moving here to, what? how did? How about you said you've been a natural life right? So yeah. So what was your biggest fear of moving to Nashville?
0: Not having my family close. Really? I'm a big family girl. I, I love I love my mom so much. We're extremely close. So that was really tough when I
1: first came down. But you knew you were coming for music.
0: I knew I was coming for music. I knew I was supposed to be here. Anytime I doubted it, God would let me know in a certain way that no, that's where you're supposed to be and that's where you're gonna go.
1: So how can you, how do you, so there's so many people who say, well, I don't hear God speak to me. That way, like, how did you know? How did you know that you just knew that this is from God and this is what I'm supposed to do? Well,
0: I can't say that I ever heard, like, this
1: audible voice that came and
0: broke through the clouds and said, Paulina, you're going to Nashville, you know? <laughs> it was nothing like you the didn't movies. did dream with that? <laughs> <laughs> No, it was nothing like the movies or anything, but... I don't know if you've ever been in a place before, like you've walked into a setting and something in your gut is just going off and you're like, I need to get out of here. There's something wrong here. This is creepy or eerie or whatever. It was sort of that kind of gut experience, but with a positive thing. All these reinforcements that had come along the way, they were people who would come up to me and say, and they didn't know me from Adam, and they'd say, you're moving to Nashville, aren't you? Really? I had a woman say that to me I was in Office Depot buying a backpack to go to college in Nashville. What? <laughs> and she said, Good luck in Nashville. And I said,
1: What? You didn't have a guitar or anything?
0: No okay. guitar. Nothing that I was wearing would have spoken Nashville. I just left the gym. You know. That's crazy. It was wild stuff like that. And then aside from that, just like this gut feeling this is where I'm supposed to be. Everything just aligned. Wow.
1: So, if, if somebody said to you, "Hey, I, I want to move to Nashville, but I want to sing, but there's so many people here that sing, there's there's you're, you have so much competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not an easy kind to break into and have your voice heard. What would you advise someone that's just moving to Nashville, wanting to mm-hmm. to do music or writing or whatever else you know?"
0: I've found that some of the most successful people come to this town completely open-handedly. They come here with open hands, both to give and to be willing
1: to accept things from other people.
0: So I think that's...
1: regardless of the circumstance or the outcome. Yes,
0: yes. And I think that's been a really beautiful part of it. But secondarily, I also think you know, it's like any business, you figure out what you're good at. And you may not be the best singer. You may not be the best guitarist. You may not be the best lyricist, but gosh, you can send it home with a great melody when you're in a writer's room. I think just finding your greatest strength and then working on your greatest weakness is is the easiest way to get into Nashville and understand
1: where your niche is. So how did you find that for you?
0: Well, I'm still I'm still figuring it out. I don't think it happens overnight, but
1: but I, you you played with some big names. You you've written some phenomenal songs. You, you're in a bunch of countries. So I'd say you you've you've made a pretty big splash, if you will. And what what did it take from showing up here? You know, coming here because you felt in your gut you were supposed to be here to to today. Was it? Is there anything that stands out? Like, how do you make that first step?
0: I think one of the things that I've focused on is having the best work ethic I could have in town. Um, I know that there are going to be singers who sing better than me, and there are always going to be writers who write better, because that's the kind of place you want to be in. You don't want to be in a place where you're the big fish in a small pond, you know? (laughs) So... I have tried my very best to work harder than everyone else in this town. And I, I noticed know they call it a 10 year town. So, yeah. so I know that my time is coming because it's right about the 10 years, 10 year mark where you say, Oh yeah, you know, everybody now, mm-hmm. they know who you are. They know what you do. They know your voice. And now they're ready to take you to the next place. So what happens
1: after the um, I,
0: I, What I've seen, at least, is just this: these people propel in their careers. You know, they,
1: they just so skyrocket. Not, not necessarily a 10-year talent in the way. <laughs> you're coming here, either you make it in 10 years or you don't. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then you're done. Or you better go find something else to do. But it's more so that if you're willing to invest 10 years into your life, and into your dream, into this passion, then it's going to pay off.
0: I believe so. I believe if you really, truly put the effort and the work in, and you have even the smallest bit of talent, you can make it happen. You can make it happen if you want it to happen. But it's unfortunate because a lot of people give up before the 10-year mark, and then they give up at the 10-year mark if they're not exactly where they thought they were going to be.
1: So why is that? Why do you feel people have given up, whether it's people you know or have lost your acquaintances, and what do you think is that pivotal moment of them saying, you know what, maybe it's a year, nine and a half, and I'm just done. Maybe is it burnout? Is it just a constant letdown of not where I'm supposed to be, or, you know, we live in a world of comparisons, especially on social media. What do you think is, is the biggest reason that people give up? Well,
0: it's such a great combination of them. a lot of the ones you just named for sure. But I think that a place like this, like Nashville, uh, is full of people who are doing obviously the same thing. So you're competing. You are comparing naturally. Even as hard as you try. There's always going to be a degree of it because we're human. Right. (laughs) But... I personally feel that the greatest thing that sort of keeps people from getting to that next step is the repetitive rejection. Mm. And because you're going to get rejected no matter what.
1: So what does that look like for you? If somebody says repetitive rejection to you, and what does that mean to you? Does that mean that, you know what, I've been rejected so many times on this maybe one particular issue. Does it just build a shell of like it doesn't matter because I don't understand me, or do you just get used to it where you don't think about it so much? How do you how do you navigate that?
0: It's kind of like a, I do some kickboxing sometimes. It's kind of like the first time you kickbox, your foot and your leg are in so much pain when you're dying. Like you're so exhausted and you're so tired. But then after the first month or so, you know of doing it quite a few times a week. <laughs> you build up this stamina and this endurance and this ability, and sometimes you even get a little callous on a certain part of your foot or your leg that you needed to build. It's just like that. You know, you, you get this, it's like you said, a shell of, of this strength. And
1: right. So how do you, in the moment of that, let's say you're, let's say there's someone that's listening to the show, and they've just been told no by the fourth record label, mm-hmm. or the tenth. What's your advice? How do you how do you stay motivated in that moment? In that day? Is it is it like, okay, you know what, today's just been today's just been a day. Mm-hmm. And is it how do you handle that then? Is it like, okay, well, I'm just gonna go sleep this off? And then tomorrow's a new day. We start afresh, or what do you do to in that moment get out of that that funk of rejection? Well,
0: not to get preachy here, but I first look at everything as, you know, first and foremost, I do my best to be a woman of God. Second, I'm a musician and an artist and songwriter. So if somebody says to me, no, or you're not good enough, or you're not what we're looking for, that's okay. Because I have somebody who's always pursuing me. I know someone who's always looking for me and, and, and wants me. Every single day I wake up, I'm wanted. Wow. And I'm needed by this being, this this thing. I can't see him, but I can feel him. I can see him in the wind. When the, when the leaves blow in the land, I can see him. When a feathers picked up in the land, I can see that. Every single morning, though, I wake up with this new, refreshed, renewed relationship with someone who will always want me. But that doesn't mean that it's so hard when the human beings that you walk around with every day.
1: Don't. But it's an amazing perspective. It's, it's a solid grounding point of I am enough. Essentially what, what you're saying is is I may not be enough over here, but I'm enough. And it doesn't mean that I'm not enough as a person. It just means that maybe they don't see it, but I am enough. And that's what your, your grounding affirmation that you're coming back to. Yep. Yeah.
0: It's
1: a great, great point. I don't think I've ever heard anyone put it that way.
0: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just said, like, God, give me the words.
1: <laughs> so you, besides music, you're an ambassador for for women and children and uh, going through conflict and trauma. What makes you put time and effort into that realm, into that world, of when you could be so busy already with what you're doing? I'll- and can you tell us a little bit about what you do and, and how that how that works.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess, so Miss Amazing is this organization I work with. They empower girls with disabilities and they do it through these events that they have in states across the country. I think I want to say it's almost 40 states now that they have chapters in these events. that They put together are an opportunity for these young women to go on a stage, talk about something they love, perform a talent that they have, um, and then get interviewed by these different judges. <clears throat>
1: Excuse me. <laughs> so, about their skill.
0: About their skill, okay. and about who they or about who they are, or something in the world, something they're passionate about. It's so whatever topic they really choose. They can talk about that and be interviewed on. So when you think about it, women with disabilities. You're talking about two different sectors here. You're talking about women, number one, and then you're talking about people with disabilities, number two. So, these are two people that have, two kinds of people who have been, I guess, sort of in the background in our culture and society for how many years? I don't know, but years, long time. So, when you bring them to the forefront and they get a little spotlight for a while, all of a sudden you come to find, my goodness, they have a ton to offer (laughs) to this world. There is so much that they have to offer. To this world just by breathing every day, but secondarily, you know, just by their stories, but they've been through how they, how they cope through rejection, mm-hmm. through their experiences in school when nobody wants to sit next to them because they look funny or whatever or sound different. So why do I spend time with them? Because their stories are so enriching and their joy is so unlike anything I've ever seen. I just want to be a part of it and I want to be a part of, I want to be a part of bringing light to who they are. And maybe the light that I can shed is very small, but if there's anything that I can have a part in that would be something as good as them, I I want to do it. You know, I want to, I want to be a part of that. How many times did I say part? Nine?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it though. Cause it's, Make sure your, your purpose bigger than yourself, or bigger than your music, even. Or and, and you can touch so many people's lives with that. I hope. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure you have. So, it in the in the light of like COVID and being a musician and things changing, how do you? How did you find last year, and how did you navigate that? And maybe was there something within that whole chaotic? environment of not understanding what's happening with the world that you could then use to propel you or did you find it that way or how did you transition through 2020
0: two weeks into covid the shutdown for covid which was like march 30th or something 31st two weeks into that my well, my childhood best friends passed away um, wow. he's 24 years old I had known him since I was four. I got a call on a random Tuesday from his mom saying, at 7 o'clock in the morning saying, Ben passed away this morning. He went into cardiac arrest and on um, our family
1: room floor. This was very unexpected. Like It does not totally. like he had any symptoms or anything. Prior.
0: He had a cold, but that's it. We oh. did come to find out that he had COVID that turned into pneumonia, but the doctors wouldn't see him. So he just kind of stuck it out at home and he did not think he had COVID. You know, he was thinking, I just have a cold and I'm going to get through this. No prior conditions or existing conditions of any kind. So that was the framework for most of my time at home for the remainder of 2020. You spent it with your family? I actually spent it in Nashville. Okay. I was with my roommates Shelby, Stevie, Ates, and, and the four of us. Uh, we we got real close, <laughs> you know. We hung out every single day. We'd find different rooms to do our work in every day. <laughs> uh, we never reached that point where we hated each other, so that was a really big accomplishment, I think. <laughs> And we Uber Eats all way too often by counting that. But, <laughs> but, you know, in that whole period of time, I think the silver lining was deeper relationship. And even though the deeper relationship was really only with three people, the depth of that was so great that it made up for the lack of other people that I got to interact with. I know that I was really fortunate about to have that many people I was living with though, because I had other friends who were living alone and they were so depressed, and they're like, I gotta get out of here, yeah. I'm going crazy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that was that was one of the greatest things I found though.
1: Don't you feel though that in all of that, like you learn more about yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I learned what a scattered brain I am. <laughs> <laughs> I learned what a busybody I am. Um, I learned the importance of relationship with other people, just you know, and and being self-aware, but not so overly self-aware that you forget to be
1: people-aware. That's really good. You realize what you just said. mm. I love that. I I think that that last year was it was. I think that you know, with with all respect to people who who lost. Friends and family, and and you know we lost a lot of people. I think the world, in a sense, needed needed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I was reading a lot of stuff during that time frame, and even things like nature. Like I was reading, like things were coming back in nature that had hadn't happened in years because because we took ourselves from trying to manipulate and micromanage everything in the world yeah. and. And so I think it was a time to breathe and heal, and ironically with being COVID, you know, you don't really think about healing when people are dying around you. But there, I, I look back and I think there's so much. I've I found that people have one or two answers. Either their life got worse or their life got better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm talking about individually, not mm-hmm. because of any other circumstance. Yeah, it's I, interesting.
0: I sort of look at it as like a scorching of the land, you know, in order to get a new harvest. Mm -hmm. You have to scorch the land and then the soil becomes so fertile and you're able to plant so many
1: wonderful things. Yes.
0: And I'm hoping that this year we'll be able to pick
1: those things. Yes. Get them off the
0: vine and
1: and the harvest.
0: The harvest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we're seeing part of that. I think so too. Yeah. And we're seeing some of the good in it. The show's obviously called The Ultimate Shift. So when you think about in your life, since you were a kid, Mm -hmm. is there any moment in your life that you had that ultimate shift that that you knew, that you now know, whether you knew then or know now, looking back, that you had that ultimate shift in your life that changed the trajectory of where you were going and how you were doing it? and, And what was it? Can you share anything like that?
0: As far as my career goes, and my decision to really pursue music, I think the ultimate shift happened in my sophomore year of high school. I signed a management deal in in eighth grade. I played one show, and there happened to be three industry guys there. And so, you know, I played a show with my church band in a hole-in-the-wall bar. <laughs> and really? these these industry guys are there, and they're like, "Yeah, we want you." I'm like, "You're really? crazy! <laughs> you don't even know."
1: This, and, at this point, you weren't thinking I'm going to be a musician yet.
0: No, I was just sort of like just,
1: just loved it. Yeah, I
0: just loved it, and they just wanted <laughs> to show some family. Well, I didn't want to show some family and friends. My piano teacher and my mom wanted to show some family and friends the music that I'd written. I was terrified. I did want to go do that.
1: Was this still classical dark?
0: This was now lyrical. I actually had started adding lyrics really? to my wow. music at this point. And uh, so I played that show, signed the management deal. And even then at that point, it was just, I'm an eighth grade girl. And I'm thinking, oh, cool. like Management deal, whatever that means, you know, sign the mm-hmm. dotted line. Right. <laughs> go play these shows and sink or swim. And then my sophomore year came and I was the captain of my basketball team and I was in my second game of the season and I was playing against this team. that was brutal. I mean, these group girls were bruisers. Like they were coming to get you, you know? <laughs> so, and not that I wasn't, cause I was, she was a hefty girl. So, so I was on the basketball court and this six foot two chick, she comes into my leg and just totally mutilates me, like a clipping injury in football, and she blew out my knee, and I had to get a knee surgery done. Oh wow! Uh, and then I had to get a second knee surgery done. And after that second knee surgery, I had to make a decision: were you going to pursue music or were you going to pursue basketball? And I made that that decision that moment. There was that ultimate shift of music is my first love. It is what I want to do. I want to be a part of other people's lives, and I hope someday that I'm fortunate enough to have my song singing and playing in someone's kitchen when they're dancing around cooking breakfast
1: or dinner or whatever,
0: driving down the road and it turns on the radio station. That was the ultimate shift.
1: Well, I don't think that you can have as many, I mean, I don't think you can have a half a million streams and not have someone play in their car or their kitchen or, so you probably achieve better.
0: Well, that's a, that is so cool to think about. (laughs) I've actually not thought about that, which might sound stupid, but you get caught up in going forward and you forget to pause and look back,
1: so. Um, Well, that's what we're here for. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, I appreciate that.
1: (laughs) Last question. If you were given the world stage and you know, somebody said, "Paulina Jane, I, you have this time to say something to the world. The entire world is watching, listening. What do you think the world needs to hear?
0: Well, I'm certainly not one of those people, you know, stands on a corner with, with the big crazy sign that says, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going <laughs> to hell. You know, I'm not one of those people. You're not one of those people in Broadway. With no.
1: that hell. Might that
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am not one of those people. And in fact, I think that is just
1: absolutely wild, but. I've um, never seen them baptize anyone. I you
0: know, what do you know, right? <laughs> but I, I think what I would say to them is no matter no matter where you're going, no matter where they, where you've been, there is someone who loves you so deeply and so greatly that you can't even fathom it and it doesn't matter if you even recognize who he is or, or what he can do for you or what he has done for you. It doesn't matter. He still loves you just as much as anyone else. And because of that, and because of what I believe you have like you have a friend in me. You have somebody that is on your side and on your team and rooting for you. And I think people need to hear they're being rooted for. I love that.
1: Well, I want to just acknowledge you for the optimistic personality that you have. I I think that, I think that you're probably a rock to a lot of people Mm -hmm. and I don't really know you that well, but I can just tell that, that everything from everything you've done to, to just letting, having an outlet when you were a kid to, you know, realizing how important that was for you to your music career, to adapting and adjusting through all of the hardships of life. I think you're, you're a, a role model for any any person that that wants to you know figure out life and, and do something bigger than themselves. I'm really grateful you think that. I try to live
0: <laughs> up to it. I appreciate
1: it. What our listeners? If they, um, how can they find you, follow you, support you? What can we do to help support your mission?
0: Well, I'm all over the internet. So, Pauline Jane J A Y N E dot com. Uh, is where everything could be found. But I'm really big on Instagram and, and some on Facebook too. It's all at Paulina and Jane. And I just, I love talking to people. So, you know, if anybody wants to talk, just shoot me a little <laughs> message on Insta and can chat, you know, do all that and kind of fun stuff. It's of inspiration. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I get inspired by people's stories, so it's a little selfish, too. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I understand that. I love people. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure for me. Thank and you. And it's probably one of the easiest shows I've done in a while. So oh, I'm honored to have been here. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. And we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up, but there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.